All right, how is everybody? <laughs> yeah, if you're like me, man, I watched some serious college football yesterday. Some of you in this room, you're sad. Got some bad blood going on already, right? Some of you came in this morning and you're like, Sean, could you do anything to get me out of the NCAA coma that I am in? And I just want to say yes. I'm glad you're here today. It's been a great, great morning so far. I'm just telling you, man, this uh, message today, I believe, is going to change, change some lives. So thank you for being here today. You came back. Like, I'm totally shocked. Like last week, you know, we totally talked about this whole idea of forgiveness and how we get stuck in our lives and how we sometimes don't move on because we never move through forgiveness. And so uh, today we're in week two of our series called Bad Blood. Taylor Swift will not be here today. I just want to say that. I'm sorry. But uh, I am glad she uh, showed up last week or they showed up last week. But uh, we, are, we are in this series and we're about to dive in. So let me just bring you back up to speed. For some of you that weren't here last week, we talked about the only way that we move on in our lives is to move through forgiveness. In fact, we said the crossroads of forgiveness is unavoidable, like You can't go through this world and not have to deal with the topic of forgiveness. We act as if, well, okay, you know, I can, I can kind of scoot through life and, you know, just kind of dodge things and kind of avoid things. And so we have this wonderful avoidance strategy when it comes to forgiveness. But the truth is the crossroads of forgiveness is unavoidable. We also talked about last week that forgiven people forgive people, right? Like when you have applied the fact that God has forgiven you you suddenly have this amazing power to forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We looked at the passage in Colossians. And then we said something else. We said that we must pursue forgiveness on God's terms, not on our terms. And for some of us, that was our get in the grill moment, right? That's when we realized it's getting a little too personal because we want to apply forgiveness on our terms because when we do that, when we feel like forgiving someone, we can forgive them, right? When it feels right. But yet when we do that, we leave so much on the table. Because forgiveness only works on God's terms, not our terms. And then we said something that probably is the game changer for us, is that when the cross is applied, it overrides. When the cross is applied, it overrides. What does that mean? So if you weren't here last week, let me just kind of give you the illustration. When we get to places in our lives when we can't move on, we have to apply the cross because what God did for us on the cross is what gives us the power to forgive somebody else. It's not within us. It's not natural to look at someone who hurts you and said, hey, would you kick me again, right? But it is supernatural when we apply the cross because when the cross is applied, it overrides. I no longer have to sit around and Think about the decision, should I or could I or might I forgive this person? It begins to become part of our life. So today, we're going to talk about the topic you guys have waited forever to talk about. Family. Doesn't that word just ring in your ears? Family. Everybody's got one, right? In fact, here's what I want to say to you today. If you are a mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, child, aunt, uncle, this message is for you today. Because everybody's got a family, right? And if you're like me, some of us look at our family sometime and we go, oh my gosh. Like, God, what were you thinking when you let me be born into that family? 
Like our family is jacked up family, right? Like I wish my family was like the family I saw on television where in 30 minutes they can resolve any crisis, right? My family is not that way. So here's what I want to say today as we jump in, as we talk about family as it relates to forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness, there's a friends and family plan. (laughs) Some of you go, oh my, okay. Well, it's true. There's a friends and family plan. Okay. You thought that was just for your cell phone. Okay. But the truth is when it comes to your family or it comes to the closest people in your life, There is a friends and family plan. And I want to prove this real quick. I want you to look at this statement. I can forgive blank. I just can't forgive blank. Now, here's what I believe. Most of you know exactly who you'll put in this first one. I can forgive Larry. He works with me at work and he never keeps his desk clean. And I can forgive him all day long. But I cannot forgive grandma. I can forgive Susie. Okay, she gets a little into my personal space at work and she's got really good coffee breath. I can forgive Susie. I just can't forgive Uncle Harry. We all have a friend and family plan. And here's what it says. The people that are not so close to us, they're the easiest to forgive. I mean, the death angel that cuts you off on I-85 this week, driving their car, I mean, you can be mad at them for a moment. I mean, you can have some serious road rage and then suddenly you're just like, oh, it's all good. But when you think back to something that an uncle or an aunt or a close friend or a mom or a dad did to you in your life, you probably have some place of hesitation that says, I just can't forgive them. Why? Because we experience the greatest pain in our life from those who are closest to us in proximity. Now, I know this would be awkward, but if you were to look around at the people that you came with today, there's your struggle. You go, I knew they were my struggle. No, no, no. They're not your struggle. What you're dealing with related to them is your struggle. Here's why. The actions of those closest to us always have the greatest effect on our life. I mean, think about it. Some of you came here today and you had a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, mom, dad. They did something to you in your life and it's been passed down to you generation after generation after generation. I mean, Exodus even tells us this. Look what the Bible says. Exodus 34. It says, yet, who's he? God. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. See, some of you are here today and you are living with generational stuff. You're living with generational hurt. You're living with generational pain. Like, it didn't just start with you. It started with your grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents. And, and, and when you look at it, you're like, man, how, how do I, how do, I didn't even ask for this. Like, some of you are like, I didn't ask to be born in the family I was born into. Some of you feel cursed because of that. But here's what we do. We have an internal need to reconstruct the hurts of our past. We have this internal need to try to take the things that have been done to us and try to reconstruct those wounds. You say, how do I know that is true? Well, statistics tell us that one in three girls here today have been sexually abused. 
one in seven boys. And so we can come in here and we can be like, okay, we're here for church. Like we're going to put it on and we're going to raise our hands and we're going to sing songs. But the truth of it is some of us have come in here and we are spending our entire lives trying to recreate and trying to refigure out the wounds that happened to us in our past. And when we do that, we often repeat our past, even if it's painful or destructive. You say, I've been hurt, and so there's these things that I continue to struggle with in my life, like bad relationships, like letting people abuse me, like letting myself be run over by people, or codependency in my life, or addiction, or cycles of abuse. Because when it comes to the friends and family plan, when I can't fix the wounds of my past, I end up repeating my past even when it's destructive and hurtful to my life. So some of you have come here today and you're like, OMG. And I want to tell you, I'm glad you are here. You see, we are unable to reconstruct and fix our past. If we don't do that, we will never move on from it and we'll never find forgiveness. I want to just admit something to you today. (laughs) because you're sitting with friends and family. Some of the people who know how to push your buttons the best helped install them. And they're your own friends and your own family. And so today, as you think about your life, I want to make a very hopeful statement to you. Look what it says. I cannot reconstruct my past, but God can redeem my present and reclaim my future. I cannot reconstruct my past. I can't go back and change everything that happened to me. You can't go back and change what happened to you in seventh grade, fourth grade, ninth grade, three hours ago. But here's what I do know. God can redeem my present and he can reclaim my future. Of that, I am clear. You know what? The pathway towards that is forgiveness. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 50. And as you're turning over there, I want to bring you up to speed on where we're going to look at today in the scripture, because we're going to talk about a guy from scripture. His name was Joseph. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably knew Joseph, the guy who had the coat that had lots of colors. Okay. It wasn't even a beautiful coat, but if I had a coat with a lot of colors, I'd probably brag about it too. So he had a coat of many colors that his dad had given to him, and he went to his brothers at one season of his life because God had given him this dream. And this dream that God gave him, he basically saw his brothers as his servants. And so what does he do? He goes and he tells his brothers, he says, hey guys, I got something good to tell you. You guys are going to serve me. (laughs) Now that goes over real good when you're on the friend and family plan, right? Like your brothers, your sisters, they look at you and say, hey, my, my goal was to serve you. No, he said this to them. So what did they do? They did the same thing that a lot of us go through. They sold him into slavery. They said, hey, bro, we're kicking you and your coat out. And they sold him into slavery. And, and in this process of slavery, God took Joseph on this very painful journey. We hear on his journey that he was wrongly accused for 
pursuing another man's wife. He didn't even pursue her, but she made it sound as if she did. So he's wrongly accused. Then he's falsely imprisoned because they said, well, if you're going to mess with this, then we're going to put you in prison. And so they did. They falsely imprisoned him. And then while he's in prison, he meets this guy and says, hey, when you get out, will you go tell the king or would you go tell Pharaoh that I'm not supposed to be in here? And so then the worst thing happens to him. Not only is he falsely imprisoned, the Bible tells us he's forgotten. Left in jail. So he tells the cupbearer, he says, you go out, you tell Pharaoh, and the cupbearer, he forgets. Pharaoh has a dream. And it kind of messes with his head because he's like, what does this dream mean? Like, I see all these things happening, I don't know what it means. And so Pharaoh has this dream and he begins to tell his servants and his cupbearers and the people around him. And this one cupbearer remembers this guy that he met in prison who interprets dreams named Joseph. And he says, hey, King, hey, hey, Pharaoh, I don't know what your dream means, but I met this guy in prison. I think we should go get him out of prison. I think we should bring him here and let him try to interpret your dream. So the Bible says that he went and got Joseph and he brought him in and he began to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And basically, here's what he told him. He said, hey, Pharaoh, you're about to go through the worst famine you've ever seen in your life. There are going to be thousands of people and livestock and all these people that are going to die. And here's what you need to do if you're going to try to save your people during the midst of this famine. And so what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh says this. He says, whoa. Man, if you're that good, like, I'm going to put you in charge. Maybe you're the guy that's going to lead us through. And so here's Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, wrongly, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten. All this stuff happens to him. And then suddenly the Pharaoh looks at him and says, you are in charge. From now on, anybody who makes any decision has to go through you before they make it. So what does he do? He takes him out in front of the people. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts a chain on his neck. He says, hey, dude, you get the best camels I got. And he brings him out and he basically says, you're in charge. Now, what would you do if you were Joseph? You'd be like, yeah, I told those suckers not to mess with me. Selling me into slavery. Kicking me out of the house. Calling my coat. Because now we got bad blood. Can you hear him singing it? No, that's not what he did. Because in chapter 41, he made a critical decision about his life. In fact, look what happened to him after the the Pharaoh had said, you're in charge, you're going to lead us through. It says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said... It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Do you see the picture? At the point where he could have walked out and thrown out all the bad blood and said, I hope my brothers die and rot in hell. He has a child And he names his child Manasseh. The Lord has caused me to forget. You see, Joseph made a critical decision that broke the cycle of his family past. Here's what he said. I can't change what's been done to me. 
but I can choose to no longer be a prisoner of it. I will break the cycle. You don't meet a lot of people naming their children Manessa. But I know in our culture, because of the unforgiveness we live in, there's a lot of children born that probably could have the name hate, rage, because we never break the cycle of our family past. So Joseph goes through all this. He has his first two sons. He names them. He makes a critical decision. And then I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, their father had died. And they were burying the father, right? Because we all know that the friends and family plan usually comes up when someone in the family dies, right? Like we go to the funeral because we want to pay our respects. (laughs) But many of us, we show up at the funeral and we want retribution for the things that our family members did to us. But Joseph didn't. When their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, I want to tell you this. I find it really funny because what the brothers really wanted from Joseph is what Joseph really wanted from the brothers. And that is, I want to find real forgiveness in this so that I can move on with my life. Because Joseph... We don't even know if he had the conversation with his dad. But his brothers, they had heard the dad say this. Here's the instructions. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. So they send this message, hey, dad's died, we are coming, we need forgiveness from you. And when Joseph finds out, he weeps. I wonder if he didn't go back to the moment when he had the dream and he had on the coat and God said, Joseph, you're going to lead somebody and you're going to be like, you're going to be like influential and these guys, your brothers, they're going to serve. I wonder if he didn't go right back to that moment and realize that everything God had said was coming true. Look at the next verse. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. You see, isn't that the moment that we would get stuck in? Because we would be like, I told you guys, you were going to serve me. No, no, no. That's not what Joseph did. Look what it says. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, can I be the one that judges you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. What a powerful moment of forgiveness. How do we ever break that cycle? Joseph did it. How do we ever break that cycle? How do I take the emotions and the hurt of things that family and friends that have so inflicted on our lives, how do I take them and process them correctly 
so that I can forgive those who are closest to me. Here's the first thing. I've got to realize that Jesus broke the curse to give us the power to break the cycle. Jesus broke the curse. Remember, when God looked at us, he had to apply the cross to override his wrath towards us to say, you are forgiven. Jesus applied the cross to override our sin. He broke the curse and he gives us the power to break the cycle. You say, well, you don't know how big my offense is. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the years of abuse and and, and struggle. Listen, it doesn't matter. We do not have to live in the pool of our own bad blood. Jesus broke the curse and gives us the power to break the cycle. In Christ, we have the power to break the cycle of our own bad blood. Because why? Because here's the thought. What I am powerless to do, God is powerful to do. Can I get an amen? What I can't do, Jesus broke the curse. And he gives us the freedom to break the cycle. Now here's the crazy thing. Who I am in Jesus will always be bigger than who I am in my family. That's how I know Jesus broke the curse. See, some of you here, you're like, Sean... You don't understand. I am the middle child. Like I went to a counselor one time and they said, the reason that you are so angry is because you were born third. Like you had a decision in that. Hey mom, could you pop me out third? Like I really want to be in the middle. Some of you, you're here and you're like, oh, I face so much abuse because I was a baby and I was so neglected, like all my brothers and sisters, they got all the cool stuff and I got nothing but the hand-me-downs. Listen, who I am in Jesus will always be bigger than who I am in my family. Jesus broke the curse so we can break the cycle. You know what else I gotta learn? Freedom comes when we process the pain, not project it. We want to be free of all the things that have been thrown upon us. Now, here's the thing. Freedom comes when we process the pain, not project it. You see, our culture is full of people who've projected their pain on others. Something massively difficult happened to them in their life. And instead of ever processing the pain, they turn around and they project their pain on someone else as a way of dealing with their pain. I mean, it's like showing up at your house and you didn't order anything from Amazon, but suddenly there's four packages on your front porch and you're like, who sent these to me? I didn't order these packages. And you bring them into your house and you realize these aren't my packages and you open them up and you're left with what's inside because someone else has projected their pain onto your life. And you know what? Whether you realize it or not, we project on others a way of not dealing with our own pain. So we have to find freedom when we process it, not project it. The struggle is that our world and through media, they project pain on us all the time. I'm just going to say it. How many times do you turn on the television and you hear all the nice stories? Like seven cats rescued from a burning building, right? Guy shows kindness to dog on the side of the road. That's not big news in our world. We got to talk about scandal. <laughs> we got to talk about someone's, someone's deepest, darkest 
shadow is sin. Why? Because the media doesn't make money projecting the good onto us. They make money projecting the bad onto us. Say, you're hating on the media. I'm not hating on the media. It's just true. Listen, go on social media and see how well you process like three minutes of Facebook. I just got engaged. I just found out I have brain cancer. I just found out my husband of 37 years is leaving me. I just found out that my son's going to graduate next week. You start reading people's pain and you're like, ah, I have just been projected upon. (laughs) So what we do, if we're not careful, is we just keep projecting the pain instead of processing the pain. See, here's the thought. We must process the pain. We must process the hurt and grieve the loss in order to have the freedom to forgive. We have to. How? How do you do that? You have to figure out what the source is. Many of us, we never get past the symptoms of our pain. We never know how to do this because we only look at the insulary things that happen because I have never processed the hurt in my life. So here's how we start. You've got to process what hurts. What really happened to you? Who did it to you? What did they do? I mean, have you ever been in in an argument or a conversation with someone about something and they start talking about all their feelings and they're laying out all their strong emotions and everything and then they get about 30 minutes in and they say, you know, I think the real thing I'm struggling with is and then the truth comes out. I know that never happens to you guys. I know you don't live with someone or ever project that on someone else, but we do that all the time. Why? Because we never get to the source. We only focus on the symptoms. And here's the crazy thing about that. If we don't know what really happened to us and we don't know where it really started, how do we ever process what hurts? You may think it's your leg that hurts and it's your neck. I don't know. I've been to those doctor appointments before. But when it comes to forgiveness and pain, we got to start with processing what hurts. What are the trigger points? That when someone pushes that button, it takes you back to that pain. Some of you, it's a song. Like you hear a song and you have an episodic memory of someone who did something against you and that song has framed up the, the lack of forgiveness you have towards a family member or a friend that's close to you. What are the trigger points that point back to your pain? Because here's what happens. Addictions form as a result of not getting to the source. Here's what happens. We want to process our pain and we, we, we kind of run from it and we, we don't want to project our pain. And so here's what we do. We start adding things to our life that keep us from processing the hurt. And that's how addictions form. That's why some of us would say, I never in my life thought I would be addicted to prescription medication. I never thought I would be addicted to pornography. I never thought I would be addicted to this self-loathing idea that I'm not worth anything to God. Because we never go to the source. What really happened? You say, Sean, that's painful. I understand that, but but here's why it's important. We postpone forgiveness when we are unwilling to process the pain. We just keep putting it off for ourselves and for somebody else. Because here's what I know. I said it last week. Some of you in this room, you want to move on. I don't think anyone in this room says, I want to get stuck. 
You want to move on. But when we postpone forgiveness, we're unwilling to process the pain. We can't move forward. But to do that, we've got to get to the second part of what I just said. We've got to grieve what's gone. It's one thing to know what the source is. It's another thing then to say, I've got to grieve to be able to move on from this. And here's the difficult thing. In our culture, we don't exalt grieving. What do we say to each other? Just move on. Get over it. Some of you, things happen to you with a parent, an uncle, an aunt in your life. And someone you loved and trusted looked at you and just said, just move on. Just get over it. And you've never grieved it. You know, the problem with grieving is this. Sometimes we get stuck in the grieving process. I mean, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way that we grieve. I mean, we know that the stages of grief are, we go through anger. Like, this happened to me and I'm angry about it. Like, I, I've lost all control. This should have never happened to me. And then we move through to the phase of denial. Like, this really didn't happen. Like, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And, and then we get stuck in the place where most of us get stuck. And it's in magical thinking. That somehow we can just push this away. And, and, and somehow if we deny it and, and, and all this other stuff, that somehow magically it just will resolve itself, right? And then we push on to the place of bargaining. We try to bargain our grief. Well, I'll trade this for this, and I'll do this instead of this, and I'll, I'll put a hedge here to keep me protective here. And, and then we get to the last stage of grieving, which is beautiful, and that is just acceptance. Why? Because I can't reconstruct my past. But I can find freedom in my future. We've got to grieve what's gone. Some of you, you need to go home and have a burial. You need to find out what really happened. You need to deal with and begin to process the pain over a period of time with someone who loves you. And then you need to bury it. You need to say, it's gone. I can't do anything about it. The longer I do, the longer I'm postponing forgiveness towards that person. You've got to grieve what's gone. I want to give you a real hopeful thought today. You say, Sean, I hear you. I know the steps. I've read, I've read the books. Like, you know, I, I know. I've got to process the hurt. got to grieve the loss. got to have the funeral, all that stuff. I get that. But here's the hope for you today. Do you realize Jesus had to do this? You say, what? Jesus? Like, Jesus was perfect, Right? Like, Jesus never had to grieve anything. He was completely God and he was completely man. So he had all the power. Like, when he really got down and wanted to not forgive somebody or, you know, hold a grudge or whatever, he just turned on the God card. He just flipped the God switch. And, and no, 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 no. I want you to hear this. Jesus processed the pain so that we could experience the power of forgiveness. How did he do that? Well, I was reading the scripture this week and God just really lit me up and saw this scripture in a way I have never seen it before in my life. Before Jesus was ever born in a manger, these words were prophesied about him in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Look what it says in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind before he ever stepped on the earth. 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus knew what it meant to have to process the hurt and grieve what he knew would be lost. He would give his entire life by coming to this earth. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. In other words, we think God even rejected him, right? But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Oh, don't tell me Jesus didn't understand. All of mankind would reject him. You see how that fits into his friends and family plan? The very ones that he would come to give his life for. They would look upon him as a man of sorrow. See, here's what happened. Jesus processed the pain, and here's what it produced. I forgive you. You know what else it produced? You don't owe me. You don't owe me. Can you imagine when Jesus was suffering on that cross. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive him. Jesus had processed the pain and the hurt so he could say, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. Because the power of forgiveness is realized when we can say the same thing. You don't owe me in fact, I want to say it to you this way. When we can say, you don't owe me, then it, whatever it was in your life, abuse, neglect, it won't own us. When we can say, you don't owe me, it won't own us anymore. And that's what Jesus wants for us. Like, that's the reason why he was willing to process the pain. To bring us to that point in our life. So here's what I want to say to you today. What would happen, because we're talking about projecting things, right? What would happen if we projected back to our Heavenly Father what He's already processed for us? Think about that. What would happen? If we projected back to our Father what He has already processed for us through what Jesus did on the cross, Here's what would happen. We would quit focusing on the one who hurt us and we would begin to focus on the one who can heal us. And we would be able to forgive. See, I know some of you in this room, the deepest wound of your heart is a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, someone close to you and you continue to project and when we turn around and we say, God, everything that these people in my life could not be to me, God, you are. You know why? 
because you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I can either live my life hurt by others or I can live my life loved by you. I want you to bow your heads with me today. All over our, this building today, there are many of you, I can just see it in your hearts, many of you are wrestling, and here's why. Some of you have never found the forgiveness that's only in Jesus Christ. It's not in you. You say, I'm trying to forgive. Well, quit trying to forgive and receive forgiveness from God first. Like, let that be the starting point because until you realize how much God loves you, you don't have the power to forgive somebody else. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I have never truly received what Jesus did for me on the cross, but today I want to open up my heart and I want to invite Christ to come into my life and I want to experience this real power of forgiveness in my life. And guess what? You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. God gives it freely and he's waiting for you today to enter into a relationship with him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Sean, I have never had that happen in my life. Like I have been religious. I've gone to church. I've even prayed prayers before, but I can't say that there's been a time and a point and a moment in my life that I have received the love of the Father and that I felt and I know that Jesus forgave my sins, that he is the Lord and the Savior of my life. If you've never experienced that today, right here, right now, I want you to say these words with me. I want you to pray this with me right here, right now. Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today so that I could learn about you. Jesus, I want the forgiveness that only you bring. Right here, Jesus, I open up my heart and I open up my life and I receive you into my heart today, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Forgive all that I've done and save me, Jesus.